1: When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Welcome to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. The show that explores the background of Tolkien's amazing world from the very beginning. Hear that? The rushing of water from what feels like everywhere? After Morgoth is captured and carted away, we're told that the slaves, unnumbered slaves from Angband, come to the surface. And what they witness is startling. The land has been sundered. The War of Wrath was so powerful, impactful. I don't even know if I have words to describe how something like this could actually change the Earth itself. We're told that rivers charted new courses and that the sea roared in through many chasms. These, what used to be slaves, down in Angband, were confused. The world did not look the same. The continent itself was sinking under the water. But it's not all the land. It's large swaths of Beleriand. And if you look online today, you can find maps that show what Beleriand and the rest of Middle-earth looked like during the First Age, and then how that changed over time, and into the Second Age, what was left. And the Second Age and the Third Age maps are very similar, except for a notable difference with a very specific island. Now, I remember being, I don't know, 16 years old, A teenager who had read The Lord of the Rings and read The Silmarillion and really started to think about these things. Dug into some of the other books by then. And I knew how this worked out in the literature, but I didn't remember having seen any maps that included both locations. And it's a little tricky. If you look at the maps in The Lord of the Rings, it shows Middle-earth and on the left side of the map there's a coastline and if you look at the maps from the Silmarillion and you can see the map of Beleriand you see again a coastline on the western side of the map but it's a different coastline and then I started wondering where, where did the land go under the sea? which parts are the same? is Middle Earth to the south? is it it can't be further to the north. is it? I guess it's further to the east. How did that work? And I had to figure all of this out. And yes, Valerian is the western side of this gigantic continent. And the rest of Middle-earth, which includes the Shire and the lands that the people of Numenor settle in the Second Age, Mordor, all of those locations are further east. And if you look carefully... You can see the remnants of the Blue Mountains, which are the easternmost side of the map of the First Age, on the shoreline in the north side of Middle Earth in the Second and Third Age. That is the line. That is where the boundaries of the continent remain and kind of the the part that didn't get sunk underneath the sea so this is kind of a fun thing look it up people since then T- tolkien himself did not actually create a uh combination map that showed like this is the seam that exists between these two maps and where the sea is now as opposed to where it was then but those exist now so you can go look those up online and i i recommend that so before we get into the episode the rest of this episode isn't about the way the land changed. That's something that is notable here in this specific section of the story in chapter 24. But the next section of the story goes into what happens with the remaining sons of Feanor. With Matheros and Maglor and their vow. Because the Valar now have the Silmarils. They took them directly out of Morgoth's crown. And they themselves were the ones who brought Morgoth down. So be thinking about that. If you were one of the sons of Feanor, if you had this vow, and you had committed such heinous acts up until this point, would you attack the Valar in order to get back the Silmarils? Because that's what the oath says. Oath of Feanor says... It doesn't matter who takes the Silmarils. You will fight against them to take it back. And they vowed this to Iluvatar himself. So let's see what they do. So the war is over. Everything is wrapping up. And so what do you think happens next? Well, the Valar have come. They have saved the elves from Morgoth. And they decide, you know what? Let's welcome back any of the elves that would like to return with us to Valinor. We want them with us. This was the motif from the beginning. This was the whole thing, is that the elves showed up unannounced to them, they discovered that they were out there in the world, and then they sent emissaries and said, hey, come live with us. We'll take care of you. We want to know you. We want to be in relationship with you. Come back with us. And something very similar happens here. Again, Aonwe, the herald of Manwe, again, is kind of the the voice for the rest of the valor we don't get like a whole cast of them like the avengers standing there after the battle and saying you we saved you why don't you come with us we'll take care of you still like there's nothing like that going on so aeon Wei is basically wrapping everything up and tells the rest of the elves hey come back with us and among that list is Maedros and maglor And they didn't know what to do. We are told here that Maedhros and Maglor would not hearken to the summons. And they prepared, though now with weariness and loathing, to attempt in despair the fulfillment of their oath. They know what their oath means at this moment. They had never expected that this would be the way things would play out. They've done so many bad things. And they know that their oath is holding them to this vow to attack the Valar. That nobody, regardless of who they were, would stand between them and the Silmarils. And the text puts it fairly plainly for Tolkien. <laughs> it says, For they would have given battle for the Silmarils, were they withheld, even against the victorious host of of Valinor. Not just the Valar themselves, their entire host. Even though they stood alone against all the world. And they sent a message therefore to Aeonwe bidding him yield up now those jewels which of old Feanor their father made and Morgoth stole from him. So they don't go to the summoning. Hey everybody come on over here. We're going to get you off the sinking rock. Heading back to Valinor. No, they send him a letter and they're like, hey, listen, you know, those are ours, right? We want them back. But Aeonwe answered that the right to the work of their father, which the sons of Fanor formerly possessed, had now perished because of their many and merciless deeds being blinded by their oath. And most of all, because of their slaying of Dior and the assault upon the Havens. So his answer to them is, sorry guys, that oath is done. We're done with it. It's over. And Aonwe wasn't just like making this up. Aonwe was the herald of Manwe. And if anybody on Middle-earth could determine that something like Feanor's oath was now null and void, Manwe was the closest one. He was closest to the will of Iluvatar. He was the one who had the most say over the nature of reality itself. And many of the other Valar followed his his lead. And here he's telling them, basically through Aeonwe, guys, the gig's up. It's done. And one of the reasons why it's absolutely done is all the terrible stuff you did. Because we're just not going to let that continue, including that assault on the Havens, the one moment where you really should have just realized the terrible things that you're doing and pulled back from it. And yeah, there's a lot of other terrible slangs and other things, too. But that was kind of the last straw on the camel's back. It goes on and says the light of the Silmarils should go now into the West whence it came in the beginning This is one of those arguments of like, well, hey, they're arguing, well, our dad made it and Morgoth stole it for them. So they're ours. And the counter argument is, yeah, but the light in them that he just trapped in a gem we made. And that came from way over here. So maybe we have claim to that more than you do. (laughs) Right. That's kind of how that feels. Uh, it goes on. It says, "Once it came in the beginning, and to Valinor must Matheros and Maglor return, and there abide the judgment of the Valar." They're getting a court summons, basically. Hey, you gotta, you gotta pay up. You guys did some bad things. We need to process you, basically. Come on over. Let's just get this over with, and then we'll move on from there. And then we get the line. By whose decree alone would Anway yield the jewels from his charge? And this is basically Anway saying, tell you what, you come back with us, we'll settle this in court, and if somehow the ruling says that I give these back to you, then sure, I'll give them back to you. But let's at least go through the process. You guys do what you're supposed to do here and come with us. And then we get this really interesting moment, because Maglor and Maedhros are not exactly on the same page. They're their own people. Then Maglor desired indeed to submit, for his heart was sorrowful. And he said, the oath says not that we may bide our time. And it may be that in Valinor, we shall be forgiven and forgot, and we shall come into our own in peace. Basically, he's saying, the oath doesn't keep us From making strategic decisions that may play this out in our favor in the end. And so, if we just go along with them, maybe we'll have our chance to share our perspective on things. And they'll agree, and then eventually we'll get the gems back. That still fulfills the oath, right? Well, but Maedhros answered that if they return to Amman but the favor of the Valar were withheld from them, then their oath would still remain, but its fulfillment be beyond all hope. And he said, who can tell to what dreadful doom we shall come if we disobey the powers in their own land or propose ever to bring war again into their holy realm. Basically, he's saying, yeah, things might play out like that. But more likely, this is what will happen. We'll go over there and they'll say, sorry, guys, you can't have the gems back. And we are still beholden to our oath, which means we're no longer in Middle Earth attacking, say, Aonwe or whoever happens to be right there in the moment. We are in Valinor in the realm of the Valar themselves. And they will have these things under guard, under protection, and we will have to commit open war ourselves against the most powerful beings in the world at their own place in order to get these back. Can you see how that's going to be way harder than doing something right now? That's basically his his argument here. Now, again, he's assuming that the oath still holds. Anway said the oath is done. It is broken. It doesn't hold anymore. And they don't believe him. Because in their hearts, they are still fighting for the thing that they have been fighting for for centuries. Now, Maglor responds to this. Yet Maglor held back. He still held back, saying, If Manwe and Varda themselves deny the fulfillment of an oath to which we named them in witness, is it not made void? So he's playing the sides here. We we made them witness to the oath, but if they deny that the oath holds, then they as witnesses are now saying that it's like it never happened at all. So does that void the oath? Aren't we free of it at that point? And you can see they're, they're, they're struggling with it. This this has become a burden to them. They're trying to figure out ways to kind of wiggle out of the oath. They, they'd love to have the Silmarils back, but you know what would be even nicer would be to just kind of go on with their lives and not have to deal with this anymore and not attack the Valar, or, you know, potentially get themselves murdered. And Matheros answers, he says, but how shall our voices reach to Iluvatar beyond the circles of the world? And by Iluvatar, we swore in our madness and called the everlasting darkness upon us. If we kept not our word, who shall release us? And Metheros is making this counterpoint. He's like, Iluvatar is beyond our, our reach. We don't know if we can pray to him. This is why you don't see temples to Iluvatar, right? They don't know if they can even get Iluvatar's attention. They don't really know. He's beyond their reach. And so if it still holds and it's up to Iluvatar and they have no way of knowing if Iluvatar is listening and the result of them not fulfilling their oath was being cast into the everlasting darkness. That seems like a really, really terrible outcome. So he's doing the whole, like, well, we could do this and that seems pretty terrible. Or we could do this. And that seems even worse. Or if we don't fulfill the oath at all or hold to it, this is the thing that we committed to, and this will be the result. And that's the worst thing of all of them. And that seems to make sense to Maglor. If none can release us, said Maglor, then indeed the everlasting darkness shall be our lot, whether we keep our oath or break it. But less evil shall we do in the breaking. He's basically saying, I might be okay with everlasting darkness if we can stop doing more evil. And this is interesting. This is another one of those really interesting moral quandaries. And I think a lot of people in our own world come across these kinds of rock in a hard place quandaries with morality, or at least they do if they notice it and pay attention to things. And uh, the other instinct is to just throw one of the sides out and go, ah, that's not really an issue or just deny that it exists. But anyway, I digress. So at this point, we're told even though he shares that perspective, he yields to Maedros's perspective And we're told that they took counsel together how they should lay hands on the Silmarils. They made plans. And they disguised themselves and set off in order to attempt to take the Silmarils back. Go check these out today. Search for Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Again, search Eufy Video Lock. I think you'll love it. All right. Here we are in the middle of the show. This is the mid break and this show is supported by our patrons. Thank you so much to all the patrons who support the show, who make it possible. And this is where we get to shout out our new patrons and some of our uh, high tier patrons, the tier three patrons. So let's go through the list. We've got Luca R who signed up, I believe, while I was recording the episode last week, uh, right at the end. And so I didn't Go back and edit you in, but I'm giving you the shout out now. But that's kind of fun. And then Allison and uh, a little slap and tickle. <laughs> that's a good name. And Julie R. And Stephen F. Thank you to all of you for signing up. Welcome to the Patreon. I hope you are enjoying ad free episodes or bonus episodes, depending on the tier that you signed up for. And t shirts if you're a VIP patron, including we got to go down our VIP list Anakin Skywalker, Austin C., Azal. Azle Razzle, I always mess that up, Bo, Brad S, Brandy D, Chewbacca, David S, David M, Drupal, Esoteric Rage, Fulcrum, Gavin Laugh, Goldberry, Jesse P, Katie S, Capenna 9 Larry, Michael E, Nick K, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Patrick W, Rivqua, Sam B, TJT, Tyler M, Wes P, and who let the Juan out? great names um thank you so much for all of your support and we are oh my goodness we are currently at 199 patrons the next person who signs up will be our 200th patron. i can't even talk 200th patron i'm so excited um thank you for all your support i genuinely couldn't do this show without you and i hope you are enjoying everything you get being part of the patreon i'm still brainstorming some other stuff to add in there so stay tuned for that you might get some other goodies coming up. Uh, I'll figure that out eventually. But in the meantime, we have another review that came in on Apple Podcasts. If you want to help support the show, that's also another wonderful way to do it. Five-star reviews will be read out in the future like this one. This one says Big Papa Swan 4, I think is the name. Uh, names are hard because all the letters get all jumbled together. Um, this is from the United States. Uh, Big says full of information. I mow lawns 12 hours a day. That's a lot of lawn mowing. After having listened through the first 67 episodes, I was left wanting more. I signed up on the Patreon and have begun listening through the bonus episodes. Robots has me hooked, and I am no longer able to hide my nerddom. (laughs) Strongly recommend giving this show a listen. Well, thank you for signing up, Big. And I'm, I'm so glad that you're enjoying all the regular episodes and all the bonus episodes and all that stuff. So huge thanks to everybody for your support. I genuinely appreciate you. And uh, let's move on with the rest of the episode, because there's some crazy stuff that's about to happen. Here we go. All right, so are you ready for this? This is like their great heist. Now how would you go about? Stealing back the Silmarils from the forces of the Valar. Well, here's what they do. They disguised themselves and came in the night to the camp of Aonwe. And when we say camp, this was probably a large swath of soldiers and other people all making camp somewhere. So it would have been a complex and large place to navigate. And they crept into the place where the Silmarils were guarded. So they figured out where those were. And they slew the guards. More kinslaying. These were probably elves, right? And they took them out. This plays out kind of like one of those stealth video games. And laid hands on the jewels. Then all of the camp was raised against them. It was noticed that they were in there, that they had slayed the guards. I mean, how do you kill guards and the people not notice that the guards are dead or either not at their posts, right? That's going to get attention. And then they prepared to die. Defending themselves unto the last. That was it. That was the plan. The plan was we fulfill the oath. We go back. We take the Silmarils. And if we die, we die. Because at least... We followed through with our oath. But Aeonwe would not permit the slaying of the sons of Faenor. And departing unfought, they fled far away. They bas- basically, they get out. Aeonwe's like, hold your blades, do not kill them, and they run away. At least that's the picture in my head. Otherwise, how do you get out of that situation? Like, they didn't capture them, they got away. Each of them took to himself a silmaril for they said since one is lost to us and but two remain and we two alone of our brother so it is plain that fate would have us share the heirlooms of our father it makes sense there's two brothers there's two gems let's split them up so they both hold on to one of them but it doesn't play out the way you might expect maedhros's jewel burns his hand in unbearable pain. And it says here, he perceived that it was as Aonwe had said. He realizes finally that Aonwy was speaking the truth, that the oath was done and it was void and that they themselves had done terrible evil acts. And so now the gems hurt them like they did Morgoth. It goes on and says that his right... There too had become void and that the oath was vain and being in anguish and despair he cast himself into a gaping chasm filled with fire and so ended now he was the one that was the strongest to uphold the oath he was the one that convinced his brother maglor to go along with him and he gets the most serious punishment here cast into a chasm with fire now you might be wondering like what he just threw himself into a hole there was like lava in it how does that work remember the earth itself is breaking apart all over the place water is rushing in the ground there are fissures and chasms opening up in the ground Deep in inside those fissures, there's magma or lava flowing. The rock itself, I'm sure, is superheated at certain locations. It's kind of like this crazy post-apocalyptic hellscape in a way. And he comes across one of these chasms and throws himself in it. And we're told that the Silmarilla that he bore was taken into the bosom of the earth. It's like it was consumed into the earth never to be gotten again by any elf or man. So what about Maglor? It's told of Maglor that he could not endure the pain with which the Silmaril tormented him. It burned him as well. He was as guilty as his brother, although he was not the one who pushed for these terrible deeds. He's the one that kind of came along. So his punishment isn't quite the same. He cast it at last into the sea. And thereafter, he wandered ever upon the shores, singing in pain and regret beside the waves. He's lamenting the fact that he couldn't hold on to the Silmaril, and yet it's the one thing that he wanted more than anything for such a long period of time. And we're then told another description. Tolkien does this on occasion, where he's like, oh, he's he's singing in pain. But, by the way, I didn't mention it before, but, quote, Maglor was mighty among the singers of old, named only after Darren of Doriath. So, uh, he's the greatest singer? And then Magler is the second greatest singer. And they're just kind of ranked that way, right? This is one of those things Tolkien does. It also shows up in, in myths. There's often a, it's very common for things to be definitively stated. Like this was objectively the best singer ever. And this is objectively the second best singer. Like, sure, but this is a little subjective, right? But no, no, this is just the way things are. This is the nature of reality. And for some reason, it's important to point this out here. Um, But I I think that from another perspective, you could probably justify that. Yes, that is important. His voice was beautiful. Like, uh, let's get in the mind of Tolkien. Why would we why would we mention this? He's singing in pain and regret. He's lamenting and he's doing that through song. And this happens a lot of times in Tolkien's writing. And we also know that sadness, that lamenting something, that pain can be beautiful talking again and again i mean look at the story of turin look at so many times in these stories and in the writings sadness and despair these these what we would consider darker feelings are not ugly they're beautiful in their own way and sometimes they lead to other things once you come out of that darkness the, the removal of that darkness leads to life and even more beauty they themselves are not necessarily evil. They're just a kind of different part of experience. It goes on and says for Maglor was mighty among the singers of old named only after Darren of Doriath, but he came never back among the people of the elves. He lived separated for the rest of his life. And thus it came to pass that the Silmarils found their long homes, one in the airs of heaven and one in the fires of the heart of the world and one in the deep waters and you might be wondering what happened to maglor we ha- have accounts for all the other sons of fëanor and fëanor himself maglor we don't know he just disappears out of the story at this point lamenting the loss of the silmaril singing by the ocean never to join back into elven society Is he still out there somewhere? Maybe. Did he eventually forgive himself and let go his want of the Silmaril in order to return home? Possibly. But we don't know. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. If you'd like to learn more about other fantasy worlds, check out my other podcasts, The Elder Scrolls Lorecast, The Witcher Lorecast, and more at robotsradio.net. If you'd like to reach out, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a note on Twitter at robots radio, or join our amazing community on the Robots Radio Discord. There are links in the show notes, or just search Robots Radio Discord, or find the link on robotsradio.net. I'll see you next time.